This is the Horse Radio Network. This is episode 155 of Horsemanship Radio, brought to you by Omega Fields, the world's best omega-3 supplements for horses. Horsemanship Radio is a part of the family of the Horse Radio Network. And speaking of family, today we have two ladies, one very close to me. This is Debbie Laux, and you're listening to the Horsemanship Radio. Thanks for joining us. Horsemanship Radio airs on the 1st of the 15th of the month, and I have my producer, Jen, with me today. Hi, Jen. Hello, Debbie. How are you? <laughs> Fine. How are you? I'm doing great. As we record this episode, the days officially are starting to get longer, and for <laughs> everyone who doesn't live yes. in Southern California, we are so oh. happy. <laughs> Oh, you're in Florida. Not too bad. Come on. <laughs> it's not too bad here in Florida. No, not too bad at all. I, I love this time of year, though. It's, you know, we're going to we're gonna go on a ladies' ride here pretty soon. We're going to see all the little baby critters out there and the flowers. And I'm really excited about it, too. So, yeah, it's go. nice. Yeah, yeah. Springtime. Springtime. Well, I'm excited about this episode because... Speaking of grasses in springtime, we have Juliet Getty again on Obesity. <laughs> she has a very interesting take on this. Mm-hmm. It, yes. It's good, and it's science, girls. So, you know, if, you, if you're doubting there. it all, listen closely, because she knows, and she's been around. And I have friends now who are clients of Juliet's, and they're testing everything she's doing, and they love her. So, you know, think up on that one. And then also... I have my mom. I have my mom on. Why? Because she's spanking all the kids in competitions. And I, you know, I couldn't, I couldn't stuff it any longer. I had to like brag on her. And, you know, and we talk about that too, actually. So Interesting stuff. Lot, I learned lots of things about Pat Roberts that I didn't know before. And I learned lots yeah. of things about overweight horses that I didn't know before. So let's get on with yeah. it right after we hear from Omega Fields, our title sponsor. Here you go. At Flag is Up Farms, we've used Omega Fields Horseshine for years, and we love the results. And we're not the only ones. Lena Fittiment has this to say about her experience with Omega Horseshine. I was first introduced to Horseshine about 10 years ago by another rider at my barn who used it for her horses and loved it too. Her horses were in such good condition, coat, feet, mane, tail, I decided I had to have a try. I started my horse on it and haven't looked back since. Horseshine is such a great all-around supplement and helps with more than just shine, although it makes the horses so shiny. It's so palatable, and I find the horses eat it readily, and they lick their bowls clean. I've always kept my horses on it since I was first introduced. They always look so good, and I always have people comment on how shiny they are. We'll always be happy members of the Horseshine family. Juliet Getty is an independent equine nutritionist with a wide U.S. and international following. Her research-based approach optimizes equine health 
by aligning physiology and instincts with correct feeding and nutrition practices. Dr. Getty's goal is to empower the horse person with the knowledge to provide the best nutrition for his or her horse's needs. Dr. Getty is the author of the comprehensive resource, Feed Your Horse Like a Horse, as well as seven topic-centered spotlights on equine nutrition series of booklets. They're really great. She also offers an informative newsletter, Forage for Thought, and her website, GettyEquineNutrition.com, provides a world of useful information for the horse person. Well, welcome. Welcome again, Dr. Juliet Getty. I'm so happy to have you back. Well, thank you again. It is always a pleasure. Thank you, Debbie. Yeah, it is for us because we learn so much when you're on. And this is one of those topics that you, you've you tossed up in the air and I grabbed it really fast because I think there's a, a lot of us out there who are on both sides of this topic and it is obesity. So I'm going to yes. let you jump in here. But one thing that intrigued me, and I'll start with this question, is what? that you emphasize for people how hormones impact being overweight and how horses become overweight by the way we house them and feed them. And, you know, when you start talking hormones and overweight, all us women prick our ears up. (laughs) 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 Sounds awfully familiar. So, um, so jump in there. How does that work for horses? That is so true. And, you know, there have been literally thousands of research articles on how hormones impact body fat and obesity and the and the inability to lose weight and all of that with humans. And yet, for some reason, we don't seem to carry that to the animal world. And it really applies there as well. One of the best ways to start with this is to think about a horse in a wild setting during the winter time. And the snow is starting to cover the ground. The horse has to work at getting something to eat, pawing through the snow. And certainly the the forages is not as plentiful as it was in the spring. Mm -hmm. And so the horse responds by producing more insulin. In fact, in the wild, a horse will become naturally insulin resistant. Insulin will rise. And the reason for that is because insulin tells the body to store fat So that's how the horse gets through the winter. It's a survival mechanism. So insulin goes up, body fat remains plentiful, and the horse makes it through the rough season. But in a domesticated situation, when we restrict forage, we tell the horse that winter is here. And so the horse's brain and body respond to that circumstance as though winter is coming, forage is becoming less plentiful, therefore insulin needs to go up and the body holds on to fat and the horse remains fat even though the horse owner is attempting to get the fat off the horse by restricting forage. So it's if we can look at it that way at first, you can start to see the solution pretty quickly. Yeah. So, and it doesn't matter. We're talking geldings, mares. Doesn't matter. Okay. It doesn't matter whether it's right. Any of those. And of course, and that includes other equine species, donkeys, miniature Mm -hmm. horses, and so on. So Mm -hmm. all equines do respond to forage restriction by raising insulin. 
and that tells the body to store fat. So our attempt to lo- to help the horse lose weight by putting the horse on a forage restricting diet uh-huh. actually makes things worse. The horse might lose some weight, but what they really lose is muscle, not fat. Yeah. So yeah. this becomes a real issue. It does. So I guess the first thing is not to get our horses overweight. <laughs> well, yes. And that's so, another issue. Okay. We do tend to, so let's, let's kind of start there. Um, why are horses overweight in, in the first place? Because they are overfed. The feed industry loves to, you know, package all these, these beautiful feeds and fancy packages. And we, and the directions say things like feed one pound per hundred pounds of body weight. So if you have a thousand pound horse, that's 10 pounds of feed a day. And, you know, well, I'm just following directions, right? So 10 pounds of sweet feed a day, that's going to put pack on the pounds pretty quickly. Um, so we do tend to to overfeed our horses in the first place, which puts the sets them up for becoming overfat, which then becomes a vicious cycle because obesity leads to more obesity due to the presence of inflammatory molecules that the fat cells actually secrete. So the, the first step is to feed them properly. You do want to make sure that they're not getting an excessive amount of calories. You want to meet their energy needs. And this is based on, you know, are they just a, a lawn ornament and they're out in the field and just uh, grazing all day? Or are they performing? Are they in training? So depending on the energy need, certainly you want to meet that by providing the caloric content necessary. But you don't want to overdo it. And then if you have an overweight horse and you want the horse to lose weight, by all means, take away the heavy caloric feeds and just give them an appropriate forage and along with the right supplementation because hay is pretty miserable nutritionally. Yeah. So you have to supplement it and then, and then let them, let them be what they're meant to be. And that is a grazing animal. Okay. And that we've talked about uh, before you, you and I have shared lamentations of, uh, (laughs) of that, of that difficulty in some equestrian centers. So people should go back and listen to some of those past episodes about different ways um, that truly you can do to get that more spread out in their daily routine of eating. So we won't go too heavily into that, but suffice mm-hmm. it to say, you would, you would say forage, 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 and, yes. uh, you know, and make that happen, whatever you can, given whatever your horse's situation housing is. But, but if, if we've got our obese horse now, oops, um, let's say we bought it that way. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> we, we, we didn't cause it, but we've got our obese horse and we want to start ratcheting back. We want our horse healthy. We don't want laminitis. We don't want all those bad things. What do we do? Well, the first thing you want to do is, as I mentioned, you want to remove the concentrates. You want to remove certainly all cereal grains, get away from sweet feeds. You would need some type of a carrier feed that you can add your supplements to. That could be something simply as a, like a hay cube or a hay pellet. And, and then you want to test your hay. 
And I know that this is a problem for some people, especially if you're in a boarding situation where the hay supply comes in, new mm -hmm. hay comes in every week, and it's difficult to test. But if it's at all possible, it's important to try to test your hay at least uh, some of the time in order to test to make sure that the sugar and starch is appropriately low so that you can allow your horse to have access to that forage 24-7. Okay. And that's the key. It has to be available all the time. And when I say that, I mean not even 10 minutes without it. Because if you if you, the horse runs out, even for a few minutes, the horse will perceive that as winter is coming and I need to hold on to body fat. They don't understand that hay is going to be here in just a few minutes. Mm -hmm. So we need to turn off that stress response in the brain that says that I need to hold on to body fat. And the only way to do that is to make sure that the hay is always around. And once that happens, the horse will start to self-regulate and calm down his eating, eat more slowly, and eat less. But we do need to make sure that the hay is appropriate first. Would you like me to go into some of the indicators on that? Yes, please. So when you have your hay tested, there's a few things that you want to pay attention to. There's a, an asphed column and a dry matter column. So take a look at the dry matter column. And you'll want to add two numbers. One is called ESC, stands for ethanol soluble carbohydrates. That, uh, that's your sugar. Right. And you want to add that to starch. So ESC plus starch should be no more than 10% on a dry matter basis. Okay. And so that tells you that it's a low sugar hay. The other thing you want to look at is the digestible energy. That's the number of calories. So if you're feeding a very or high caloric hay, then you're providing too many calories. So we want your horse to have access to hay all the time, but we don't want him to have a hay that's really providing too much energy. Mm -hmm. So the, the digestible energy should be ideally uh, no more than 0.88 megacalories per pound. Okay. And so those are the two things that you want to take a look at. Okay. And in what part of the country you're in? You're in Texas, right? Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. So where do you go to get your hay tested? Well, I prefer to use a national lab. It's called Equi Analytical Labs. Okay. They are a division of Dairy One, and they do hay testing throughout the country for farmers. But Equi Analytical is the one that concentrates on horses. So they offer indicators that are more specific to horses. So you go to their website, which is equi-analytical.com. And you can order one of their forage collecting kits. I prefer their, their test number 601. It's called their Equitech number 601. And it's economical. I think they still charge $28. It certainly won't break the bank. And it gives you a wealth of information. Okay. And then to solve that problem that you mentioned earlier about your at an equestrian center and the hay comes and goes, and obviously you're not going to send in every bale that goes in front no. of your stall. <laughs> what, yeah. what do you see people do to try? Well, to that's, that's a problem that, that can be a real issue. Then you have to 
get you have to do a little detective work if you can, and that would be to try and figure out who the hay grower is, yeah, or at least the broker that's supplying it, okay. and that way you might be able to access some more of it so that you could test it more regularly. There are circumstances where this is not possible, and that's unfortunate. So do everything you can to test your hay. You know, if we talk about Dr. Getty, we are always talking about optimizing. And that's what I that's what I really appreciate you about. You know, you just tell us what's optimum. We will just shoot for that goal. We can't always, yeah. you know, we're not going to feel too guilty, are we, folks? No, don't feel too guilty. <laughs> we'll do our best. Because that, that brought me to another question of what are the sources of stress? Because one of the things that you said is stress is caused or at least a winter mode is caused by the lack of hay. But there are other factors that you've mentioned before that cause stress, which can also change the hormones. And uh, what can we do about some of those? And what are those sources? Stress, of course, is the thing that raises cortisol levels. Mm -hmm. And cortisol is the hormone that comes from the adrenal gland that tells the body to ignore insulin's attempt to get glucose into the cells. So glucose remains elevated, insulin remains elevated, and that causes the body to store fat. So we want to we want to lower those cortisol levels. And forage restriction is one of the most stressful things that you can do to a horse. But there are other stressors. Certainly stall confinement is very mm-hmm. stressful because horses are naturally claustrophobic. They need to flee when they're frightened. Mm-hmm. And if they're confined, they feel as though their life is in danger. Mm-hmm. So that is very difficult. If a horse is injured and is told to be put on stall rest, oh. to me, there it, stall rest is anything but restful. It yeah. is extremely <laughs> stressful, which actually, ironically, slows down healing because when the stress is elevated, the horse oh. does not heal as quickly. That is interesting. So, Get the horse out of the stall. I mean, if you have to put up some temporary fencing or something to get the horse out and put another horse in there with the horse to, to uh, so, you know, another horse that will not agitate the, the mm-hmm. horse that's injured and, and calm him down. There's things that you can do, but it does take some more effort. So stress, con- stall confinement, the lack of a, of a buddy. I see a lot in, in, in my work with people. I oftentimes come across sleep deprivation as a form of stress because mm-hmm. horses are by themselves. And horses, as we know, sleep standing up so that they can, you know, run away quickly if needed. But they also need to lie completely prone for about 20 to 30 minutes every day to sleep deeply. And they mo- they won't do that. I mean, there's always exceptions, but most of the time they will not do that if they don't have a buddy to stand and watch over things while they sleep. They generally take turns if there's two horses in a field, right. for example. And so sleep deprivation is extremely stressful. Certainly traveling, trailering, going to unfamiliar locations where they're, they're confined, their unusual smells, the water tastes different, there's other horses there that they don't know. All of those things can be very difficult for a horse. Okay, so. but for this, but for for now, since we've got everybody worried about, oh my gosh, I'm not natural enough with my horse, but <laughs> is that not being allowed to graze on forage, though, yeah. is the top of your list? It is, because horses are grazing animals. Mm-hmm. They are designed physically 
to have a steady flow of forage going through their digestive tract at all times. And this is immediately apparent when you take a look at the stomach that produces acid 24-7. Our stomachs don't do that. We're not grazing animals. Horses need to be able to chew, produce saliva, to neutralize acid. And then on top of that, their stomachs are not protected with a mucus lining throughout the whole stomach. So they need to be able to graze and chew, and that will help protect them against ulcers and colic and the stress that can lead to a laminitis episode, mm-hmm. um, all of these things. And so, you know, Mike, I realize that I might be making some people feel very uneasy right now. And my goal is not to not to instill mm-hmm. guilt or unease or dis-ease, I guess. But my goal is actually to think more like your horse does and make attempts to fulfill their physiological need so that they can be healthier. And when they're healthier, then you obviously enjoy them better because nobody nobody enjoys having to nurse a sick animal and you don't like to see your horse in pain. So removing the stress is the first thing. And, and I do, I do, if I may, just uh, digress for just a moment, because there's a lot of misinformation out there about uh, cortisol. You know, they've tested horses that are that are restricted, and they've tested their cortisol levels, and it comes back normal. And they say, you see, it doesn't cause them any stress. Well, that's not true, because cortisol may not be elevated in the bloodstream, but it might be elevated inside the tissues, first of all. And the second thing is, is there's been some fascinating research on people with uh, prolonged stress. And after a while, the cortisol level actually declines. Mm -hmm. But the hypothalamus pituitary axis, which is a cascade of hormones, is actually damaged. And so we have damaged horses that we're having to deal with. And it's particularly difficult to take a horse that has a history of forage restriction for years and is overweight and to try to help him lose weight is really very challenging. And I work with folks to do this, but it can take, it could take a year or more of patience and deliberate changes to make it happen. Well, we're so glad you're out there. I read an interesting article about this subject by you called Obesity, The Real Cause and The Real Fix. And I think that's, we'll leave that with some optimism here in this interview is that Thank God you're out there, Juliet Getty, and and well, I hope people pleasure for saying that. Oh, Thanks. it's true because it is it's it's a confusing environment out there. First of all, for us, but I I like people to know too that you actually take. Uh, you 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 counsel people with healthy horses just to keep them that way too. So let's sure. start there. I, I know my friend Nellie Kennedy recently called you and Luna. She takes care of like her baby, and and I think it's wonderful that she can just validate what she's doing or tweak or whatever just by knowing that you're out there and getting a hold of you. So how do people get a hold of you? Well, I invite you to go to my website, which is gettyequinenutrition.com, and you can email me by the same name, gettyequinenutrition at gmail.com. And while you're on my website, please take a look at the library link. Mm -hmm. I have a wealth of information there that talks about overweight horses, the benefits of free choice feeding, and a lot of articles on the hormonal response that influences weight loss and weight gain. 
Wonderful. It is a huge resource, your website. May it always live. It's wonderful. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks again, Dr. Juliet Getty, for joining us on Horsemanship Radio. My, My distinct pleasure, Debbie. Thank you so much for having me. Cavallo hoof boots are easy to get on and stay on in all types of terrain and activities. Unique drainage slots allows water to drain out quickly, and they are super easy to take off too. With Cavallo's, you spend your time on the trail with your best friend, not wasting time putting on complicated hoof boots. Cavallo hoof boots come in three durable upper options and two sole widths. You get confidence and security with their best boot ironclad warranty. Cavallo hoof boots take you where you want to go. Pat Roberts is an accomplished horsewoman. She grew up loving horses and has trained, bred, and showed championship horses most of her life. She met Monty Roberts, my dad, in grammar school, and after marrying, they began their careers together, too. A talented artist, it was natural for her to gravitate towards creating numerous sculptures of the horse in motion. Pat has been honored with many awards, and her sculpture is a part of the permanent collection at the Kentucky Horse Park in Lexington, Kentucky, the European Museum of Art, as well as in several corporate headquarters, both here and in the United States and abroad. She has collections in 15 countries now and is as in the personal collection of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II at Windsor Castle. And we're going to learn today about a few new trophies she's collected as well. Welcome back, Mom. Pat Roberts, how are you? I'm well, thank you. And thank you for inviting me back. Oh, we love having you back. We love hearing your stories. And we usually have, oh, probably like groups of people around you, you know, or we're always talking about something you guys did, like invent, you know, team pinning and and <laughs> and, and going back into history on these. But I, I actually wanted to talk about what you've been doing most recently but there is a tie-in to a generational story here that I just couldn't pass up. So if you don't mind, what I wanted you to start with was back in 1963, <laughs> you owned a beautiful quarter horse named Julius Dahl. Could you tell us a little bit about that? Oh, yes. We were in living in San Luis Obispo at that time, and some people from the valley had sent Monty some horses to start, and in that group was Julia Stahl. She was an elegant, beautiful mare, and Monty started her, and she, you know, the first day she just said, what do you want me to do? I'll do it for you. She was that kind, and he loved her, And but he said, you know, Pat, she's really a very feminine mare, and I think this would be the perfect mare for you, and so uh, eventually, we bought her uh, from the Jensen's. Uh, those are the people that own Doc Bar, if you recall. And uh, uh, I started showing her as a two-year-old. Yeah, it was a great, great moment. Uh, she was my first real uh, competition horse. And, uh, you know, not very many people get to start at the top. And I really was privileged. Oh, yeah. No, you achieved a lot. So you showed her not only in the halter, because oh. she was just gorgeous, but you also showed her in pleasure. She was a champion pleasure mare. Yes, uh, she. Oh, she won so much. She, she. Uh, you know, there was only one other horse uh, really going at that time that that gave us any any trouble winning a class. And but I would say that better than fifty percent of the time she would she would win because sometimes judges would ask you to reverse at the lope, change leads without trotting down to do it, and she could do it, and the other horse couldn't. So I loved mm-hmm. it when they asked for <laughs> a reverse at the lope. 
You're listening oh, for that. So yeah. yeah. Yes. And just beautiful. Beautiful to look at moving and standing still. She just was put together well and a beautiful example of a quarter horse, especially at that era, too. Absolutely. And uh, I, I've done a couple of sculptures of Julia Stahl because she was such a beautiful mare. Actually, though, I never did a full body. I, I did two head studies of her. And right now I'm working on a, a new one that, that uh, is a full-size head that I'm going to try and, and make it look like a Julia Stahl. Because you know what? That's, yeah, her head and her eye. I think she had that one of those really big, intelligent, big uh, eye. Yeah, eye. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So and, it, and I, I took her to her, her AQHA championship. She was an AQHA champion, I think, by age uh, five or six. Really very fast because she's won so much at both halter and and uh, performance in Western Pleasure. Yeah, so she had the points to do it. So how many years did you actually show her? Oh, I don't know. I probably probably no more than four or five years, and then we started to breed her. Yeah. And yes, and we oh we got some wonderful wonderful babies, and that kind of slides into your story, doesn't it? Well, it does. That's the generational part for sure. But on your part, I think it's important to note that you that Julia went to the breeding shed and you went to work with the thoroughbreds and you and dad in partnership really formed a completely different track at that point and became quite known in the thoroughbred racing world as starting horses and then preparing them for the ready to race two-year-olds and up. And, and you did super well. That was how many years did oh, that we take did. you? Well, mm-hmm. we got her in uh, 1963 and I showed her, I can really almost tell you now how many years I showed her for four years because in 66, we mm-hmm. moved to Solvang to what has become Flag is Up Farms. That was the our farm where, where we live today after 53 years. Monty designed this property. And it's a functioning thoroughbred farm, but also has arenas for Western horses. And so when when we moved to, to the valley, eventually we decided to go into the two-year-old in training sale. Mm-hmm. And in the fall, summer and fall, we would go back to Kentucky and sometimes to Saratoga, New York, and buy yearlings to bring out to California to start and then take them to the March two-year-old in training sale, which was the premier yearling or the premier two-year-old in training sale for horses two-year-olds in training. Mm-hmm. And for, we did that for, oh my gosh, how many years? 18 or 20 years. Mm-hmm. And I think, right. I think 18 of those years, we were the leading consigners for the sale. That's so that right. was, that was an interesting period of time. And we had a lot of success doing that. And it was yeah, a lot of, a lot of exposure to some beautiful, wonderful horses over the years. And I bet you met a lot of really interesting people during all that time too. We did. We did. In fact, I was just talking the other day about the the movie, The Secretariat. And that was such a well-done movie. And I have to tell you that we knew all those people that were in the in the movie and they portrayed them perfectly. It was really, it was such a pleasure to, to see something that was done and done correctly. And so I'm glad it it had success and I hope people will continue to watch the movie. Yeah, I think it's a class. I think it's become iconic. So you knew Lucian and Penny, and did you ever get to see Secretariat on the track? I have to tell you, the first Kentucky Derby that I went to was the one that Secretariat. That was that awesome. 
Yeah, it's awesome. You, you quit after that, right? <laughs> no, I, I saw one other Kentucky Derby, and I can't even remember what horse was. <laughs> yeah. So he, yeah. He was Again, it was starting at the top, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, beautiful, too. And I know you've met celebrities and celebrity trainers and celebrity horse owners <laughs> over mm-hmm. the years that, you know, you get to see at the racetrack, too, which is a lot of fun. And But... I know for a fact that your Pilates instructor moved a few years oh, back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I missed her so much. And you missed her so much. You know, she's what kept your core together. But before you before you got into riding again, which we're gonna get to, what occupied your time? I know you you've raised the horses and you raised a lot of kids and all that too, but tell us a little bit about the art. Well, I got after Julia Stahl went back there and and I guess in about 80 71 I started dabbling in art because we moved into this big wonderful home with all these white walls and I needed color so I went and bought paint and how-to books and started painting and wasn't very good but I found a wonderful teacher and started taking lessons and within two years started selling paintings which is phenomenal really I, I don't know I guess I had some talent there that that she brought out in me and and then after after I did that I started doing sculpting and I was occupied with with the painting for about 5 years and then I went into sculpting almost full time and I created a lot of sculptures uh, throughout the years and it was uh, about 10 years ago that I took up the horses again and sort of backed off on the art a bit, although I continue to sculpt and I'm doing more painting now than I did then. So Mm -hmm. uh, Mm -hmm. life has sometimes has circles and I'm Mm -hmm. circling back to the the oil painting uh, and the sculpture and the horses. Yeah. And that's why your bronze sculptures of horses are so spot on because not only did you work the 20 some years in, in finding the the perfect confirmation in a horse, but you actually replicated it in clay and then eventually bronzing them. And they're beautiful that way. And I think they just take people's breath away because of the the realism there. You know, every muscle, every bone, every yeah, little nuance. There. I really do. That, the uh, going back and buying yearlings at the thoroughbred sales is going to a university in itself. If you don't buy correct individuals that are athletic, they will not succeed at the racetrack. And in order to have the success that we had, we had to pick courses very, very exceptionally well. And we did. You, can you tell us a little about the triangle and how you incorporate not only finding a good horse with the triangle, but then into your well, sculptures? I, I have a difficulty describing it without my hands. <laughs> okay. You're an artist. <laughs> but if you, if you t- took a, a point and you made a triangle that had the apex at the very middle of the top, the middle of the back, and let it drop down through the shoulder blade and the, I, I can't recall the, the bone in the rear, it goes through the hip and down yeah. through the stifle. And the, the larger the bottom of the triangle, the better stride the horse will have. Mm-hmm. And if, if that apex is right in the middle of the back, you have the perfect horse. Now, most horses, it will be a little bit forward or a little bit back, and that will throw their stride off a bit. But one of the horses that, that Monty chose that 
really was an exceptional horse was the horse called Alleged, and he actually won the Arctic Triumph twice. And as Monty has said many, many times, that was the most perfect horse that he had ever seen at a sale. And of course, he bought him even though he was in very poor condition at the time, but that did change. So by the time that we had the March two-year-old in training sale, he topped the sale. So there you go. There you go. And he had a good triangle. Oh, a great triangle. Perfect. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. See, so there is there is a little secrets, you know, that, that artists can use to make their sculptures perfect. I think yours are more accurate, sorry, than some of the best in the world and some of them that are no longer alive that, you know, they well, can't speak you. for themselves. But mm-hmm, I know absolutely. they can't. But I've been very, very lucky because I've had some wonderful mentors along the line with the sculpture along with the the art. But Jack Swanson was a wonderful artist. And he, I think if it wasn't for Jack Swanson, I probably never would have done my second sculpture because he was the one that came along and showed me how to do uh, armature in order to be able to do a horse. And that's a long story, and I won't even go into it today, but I do credit Jack Swanson for keeping me interested and giving me the encouragement to go on with my art. Yeah, and he yeah, and he was an amazing CA artist, uh, California artist. Yes, he was a CA artist. In fact, his uh, painting of his was in Ronald Reagan's office when he was governor, and that same painting was taken to the Oval Office when he became president. And right. it stayed there until the end of his presidency, and then it went back to Sally and, and Jack, who, who lived in the Carmel Valley of California. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So real history there, and beautiful horses is the thread that goes through that. So, okay, so now you've lost your, we've, we've wound through your beautiful a history of not only championship horses, but championship accomplishments in the art world. So now we're back to losing your Pilates instructor and you want to work on your core. (laughs) So what did you decide to do since you had a couple of horses in the barn? Well, I I decided that I needed to ride do something with them because why why have a horse in the barn if you're not doing anything with it and so i started riding these two horses and i discovered that even though i hadn't had pilates for a long time actually it was starting to help me tighten up my core and the more i i i rode the better it became and it was you know it's something that that people really just don't talk about how well what a great exercise riding is and what the benefits of of riding horses and and not only mentally but physically Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. what was it It improved your back it it, it improved back but but of course the back depends on the core so there it's all Mm -hmm. all integrated Exactly right. Exactly right. And so, meanwhile, these horses under you, you thought, well, I'm not just going to ride. I might actually just go out and find shows to enter. I did. I did. <laughs> and I, in 2010, I was showing a mare called uh, My Diamond Lena. And we started kind of winning. And, and one day, I, somebody came by and they said, hey, Pat, did you know you, you're reserve champion box? Let's see, what was it? what the class was boxing, I guess. And uh, you won a buckle. I said, I did? I had no idea. You know, I was by points. So you had added it. Yeah, it was by points. Yeah. I didn't realize that I had so many points that I was reserve champion for the year. So that, that was like a real kick in the you-know-what. And so I thought, wow, this is kind of fun. And I hadn't won a buckle for 
for many years. I, I did win a lot of buckles long time ago with the, the champion halter horses. But right. anyway, it, it was fun, and I started uh, showing almost as much as I could. I, I didn't leave home for a lot because uh, some people travel all over over the West, and I, I stayed mostly uh, locally at first and then started going out a little farther and a little farther. And I went from my Diamond Lena to I had another horse in the barn that was a wonderful rainer. Uh, his name is Steel Buns. And I started showing him in the raining. Um, she was more of a cow horse. He was more of a rainer. And he did and he's really big. well for me. He's a oh, tall yeah. guy, too. Oh, he's, he's 16, one and a half or something mm-hmm. like that. He's big. He's really tall. And But the nice thing about all this is that Julia's doll was the great grandmother of Steel Buns. And now a horse called Black Design, the horse that I've been showing the last two years. And right. it, it just... It's such a wonderful feeling to know that Monty and I have bred these wonderful horses and uh, that we've had them for so long and and I've made the right decisions on where to take the mare originally to breed and then with each uh, generation continue seeking the best possible horse that one can breed. And that's so much uh, satisfaction for a person that loves their horses. That's true. So Black Design was born to to sign her genes, your mare. That's right. Yeah. And so not only responsible for Black Design, but also Steel Buns. And so you were able to show them in the ring. So they are the great, great grandson? Yes. The great grandsons of Julia Saul. Yes. Is, that's an amazing story that you kept this bloodline going all through those years. You didn't like sell them and then buy back into them. You always had nope. one of them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and you chose the, the sires. The mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I was and, lucky. I, I chose really good horses that, that crossed well on my, my mares. And uh, it, it's been a program that's been very, you'd have to call it successful because a horse like Black Design is really an exceptional horse. This year he's uh, 10. And, you know, I've been showing him now since he was six. And I, we, we're doing better each year. So yeah, practice so does make perfect. Perfect practice makes perfect. There you go. But, yeah. but uh, and we we forgot about nice chrome in there too. So a lot of people know oh. Dad Monty's champion rain cow horse, and his name is Nice Chrome. So full brother to uh, Steel Buns. He's a full brother to Steel Buns. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, uh, yeah. And the sire of of both of them was Captain Nice, who died last year. I believe at with Ron, he was with Ron Rawls. Ron showed him for us uh, many, many years ago, and then he went to another owner, and then Ron got him back, and he spent the rest of his his life there with Ron. So uh, that's always a nice story too. That is, and Philip, yes, and and Philip Rawls, his son, an accomplished trainer, uh, including world's greatest horseman, reserve champion titles, and things like that too. He actually didn't he put some training on. On Black Design, he, star- Black. he started Black Design, yeah. Blackie, and he also showed him at the Snaffle Bit Futurity where he made the finals, and yeah. uh, he placed well. Uh, actually, he got ulcers during the finals up there, and he wasn't his very best, but but he got through the finals and and won a bit of money and a bu- buckle, you know, and all the other things that you win if you make the the top twenty five out of usually about three hundred, which is 
quite an accomplishment in itself. Mm-hmm. And so then uh, we brought him home, gave him some time off, and then I said, well, what do we do with him? And <laughs> Philip said, well, I don't think you could show him because he knew where I was going, you know, because <laughs> I sort of, mm, what do you think? You think I could show him? Mm, he said, I don't think so. He's he's a lot of horse, got a big engine there. And so Monty says, oh, Pat, I, I really don't want you to ride him because I think he'll hurt you. He's just too much. He's too much. <laughs> and I just took my time and I got formed a bond with the with uh, Blackie, and, you know, we have done so well. If I'm good, he's really good. Uh, if we make a mistake, it's me, not not Blackie. <laughs> he's a great He tries horse. so he hard, really too. Is. Yeah, he really is. And so, despite being out of the competition world for 50 years, mm-hmm. you just hooked him and got out there and got up on your horses again and start and got a coach. You were coached, too, which was really smart. You didn't oh, do yeah. Uh, yes, I, I've worked with quite a few trainers, and you know I'm always open to to new ideas and, and better ways of doing things. And and I, I give a lot of credit to Sandy Collier and, and Ron Rawls for for working with me. And John McCarty's been great uh, helping with with the cattle. And I get to ride with uh, Shannon McCarty, who shows in the non pros, and it's fun to watch her. And and she kind of keeps an eye on me. She hollers at me occasionally. Hey, yeah. do this and do that. <laughs> But anyway, we're just we're pals, and we ride together. So yeah, yeah you yeah. you know you you have to stay at it. It's something that you can't do on weekends. It's something that you have to put the time in, and and it pays off, and uh, pays off quite well sometimes. Uh, Blackie and I won a saddle at uh, Santa Barbara Fiesta year before last, which was wonderful, and then found out um, in mid December that we are eligible for the World Championship championship show uh, with the National Rain Cowhorse Association coming up in February in two events, both the 5,000 and the Open Non-Pro Limited. Uh, Of course, that's a long ways to go. So, and I've I have a lot of responsibility here on the farm, and I have my artwork. So we'll probably just stick around in California, but maybe go to Reno or, or Las Vegas next year. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, did we? Did we mint? Yeah, that's right. It's twenty twenty now. Because in twenty nineteen, what did you do in, in Reno? In Reno, oh, that we had a wonderful show. Uh, I I showed in the Open uh, Limited Cow Horse class and the Five Thousand uh, Limit uh, Non Pro. And uh, we were second by half a point in the open, and we won the 5,000 limited. And uh, it was we're, I was really pleased. We, we scored well, and the, the class, I think there were 63 in it or something. So that was quite a feat, and Blackie was, was good, and so was Pat. And so was Pat. That's yeah. right. And you got you got hardware to show for it too, which is yeah, really we got, fun. Yeah, we got a beautiful, beautiful buckle to show for it. Yeah, it's another do. nice things. It's yeah, not. So it's not like really my parents are competitive at all. I think we've got a little <laughs> competitive blood, blood in the family here too. Oh yeah. And I think this is probably where I should add too that you you show in divisions for sure. But what's the the next youngest person in most of the classes that you're in when you? Compete. You know, I I've never gone around to ask people what they <laughs> what yeah, your best they are. Guess. But I'd say somewhere between fifty five and sixty two. Yeah, mm-hmm. you know, I don't think there's very many people my age, you know, running around in the show ring. Oh, you're not fifty five to sixty two? No, no, mm-hmm. I'm a little bit above that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, exactly. And so I think I won't 
hopefully I won't get in trouble for this, but I think in your eighth decade, there mm. are a lot of people who would say, well, you know, you know, how does this where he says, I'm not going to tell Pat's age, but she was one year behind me in school. <laughs> and so it's I figured you kind of let the cat out of the bag there a little bit. I'm yeah. Yeah. But you know, it, it, age is, is just a number and it's really what you feel. And, uh, you know, I, I love getting up every day, going down, riding my horse and our horses, depending on what time I have. And I don't think of myself as being old, though. If I look back at it, when I was half my age now, I would have thought my age was old. Uh, so isn't that amazing how, how things change? <laughs> well, I think I think you would actually be amazed at half age to see what you were doing, though, in your eighth decade, too. I think you probably would say that's a prototype or something again. <laughs> but, but, but the other thing that I want to add here, which was really fun, too, that you and your best friend, Joanne Jones of Morro oh, Bay, yeah. also in November, went over to something called the Notable Ladies of the West. Right. What did you do there? It was, it was, it was, we were given the who's who of the Western world, Notable Ladies of the West, gold and silver medallions by the World of Rodeo uh, reunion in Las Vegas at the New Orleans Hotel. And it surprised both of us. We we had no idea. It was people that have, they're presented this award for contributions to the World of Rodeo. And, you know, of course, we've done a lot of things. It's not not just art or, or it's it's also supporting rodeo and being a part of it. And, of course, many, many years Ago when when uh, Monty was young and John W. Joanne's husband passed now, rodeoed together and so we often went to rodeos together and we're well known in the rodeo world and known for having a good time and yeah, contributing <laughs> a lot of laughs and so it was it was a surprise but it was really a nice surprise and we went over to Las Vegas and received our gold and silver medallions and uh, you know received applause and congratulations and you know it that's a nice thing it's a really nice thing and we really do appreciate that so if your health can stay with you which you've been blessed to have then uh, and you you work at it too to keep yourself healthy then we can compete well into our eighth decade and i'm i hope you're sticking to it i'm i'm going to i'm going to continue to compete as long as blackie's around <laughs> I'm, yeah. I'm kind of like the queen. If Blackie wasn't around, maybe I wouldn't ride. You know, oh, she said, that. <laughs> about she said that about Terry. Yeah, if Terry's not around to ride with me, I don't think I'll ride anymore. Well, I, I'm kind of like, well, if Blackie wasn't around, I don't think it would be as much fun. That's you know? true. You're so spoiled. You are so spoiled. He said, <laughs> he's so good. He's so good. Well, I mean, I, I want to end with this too. I, You know, it's uh, somebody might say this is very self-serving that I get to have my mom on and, and brag on all these things that you're doing. But Dizzy Dean... You can Google him. Dizzy Dean said the famous line that it ain't bragging if you can do it. And you did it. So Ooh. I'm proud of you. Wow. <laughs> True, I'll have right? to remember that one. I like that. <laughs> yeah. We're not just bragging uh, on you. We're just making sure that everybody knows about it and is inspired by it. And I think you've done that. I, I hope that's what I hope. I, you know, all of all the ladies that I ride with, they they all tell me when when we grow up, we want to be just like you. And that's a, a compliment, I must say. That's awesome. That's you know, awesome. it really is awesome. They they they're wonderful. Such a support team. 
you know, and they do, they, they cheer for me and you know, it's lovely. It really is. She has cheerleaders. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks for sharing your story. That's a nice little catch up. What are you going to do for us in the next uh, six months or so so that we can come follow you? We'll have to just get on my horse and go and compete and see what I can come back and tell you about. We will hold Uh, you accountable. Thanks. Oh, good. (laughs) Whisper the language of the herd. Listen, you don't have to say a word. It's time for Jamie Jennings to fetch an email from Monty Roberts' inbox and share a morsel of Monty's wisdom in a little segment we like to call Ask Monty. Leave this world a better place than the magic in the language of the Dear Monty, I have an ex-racehorse mare that I struggle to get in from the field. She's good to go into the field and is happy while out there, but when I try to get her in from the field, she'll plant her feet, and if I do manage to get her to move, she'll continuously canter circles around me, and she's run me over before until we're back in the yard. Also, if other horses go near her on either side, she bolts and runs in blind panic and has run through and in defenses on multiple occasions. Any advice you could give me would be greatly appreciated. Monty's answer. If you don't have a dually halter, then you need one. I will explain more about the equipment in the next paragraph, but first, you need your own physiology to be right using diaphragmatic breathing. If your adrenaline is up, your horses will likely rise as well. Breathing and relaxing will create a calmer environment for you and the horse. Second, appropriate equipment is essential to help build your confidence. Use a longer lead than most people use. I use a 30-foot line, but if your hands are smaller, a 17-foot line is sufficient for training. With this, if she is inclined to bolt, you have more line in your hand to bring her around with. To train, find a time when you can focus on her with no deadlines. Use an arena with good footing appropriate for safe training. I suggest you school your mare to stand still, walk when you walk, stop when you stop, and back up when you back up. These skills will transfer to more challenging areas. Once you have trained your mare living to the rules you have trained for, and once you get this behavior modified, Go to the field and repeat the process. It may not be easy, but I know it will work. For more of these insights into good horsemanship, go to MontyRoberts.com and click on the words Ask Monty at the bottom of the page. Imagine if you could take Monty to the barn with you. Watch and learn as he addresses each challenge with your horse and answers your questions too. You head to the arena and you work on each new lesson, knowing Monty's there to encourage you, all with violence-free, tried-and-true methods. After all, he's been helping train horse lovers all his life. With his online university, you could be like Kathy, a retired teacher who just brought her first horse. Recently, I went to a tack shop to look for a smaller halter. I'm 61, just purchased my 14 hands POA the day after my birthday just a few weeks ago after never having had a horse. And yes, that's crazy, but as a retired teacher who never had a hobby other than teaching, I decided to go for it. My hubby and I have taken lessons this past year, but I really longed for a relationship with a horse. Um, The only other experience I'd ever had was to ride a horse in Philly, Pennsylvania, my hometown, when I was 16 and I got bucked off. And that was it (laughs) until I was 61. 
Um, well, the owner of this tax shop, um, this is precious lady, 84 year old lady gave me a copy of this magazine at coin monthly. And the article I read in it was horses are biofeedback beings. And it was just so interesting. I really felt like I just found a pot of gold when I read it because in it, it talked about Monty's online university and that I could have access to 575 videos for $10 a month. And before that, I was just searching YouTube for everything I could find. But truthfully, that's just a pain. Um, I love that the uni videos are concise and they're in order. Um, They have extra notes and a quiz. And I just can't thank you enough for the huge blessing of your online university. It really has changed my life and I will never be the same. Um, I've had my horse Jack now for seven weeks and Thanks to the videos, I've done join up with him, and it really worked like a dream. Uh, I had to do it in the arena, but it still worked. Thanks to Monty's lessons and the cues and the hand signals, um, the ability to watch the lessons over and over on demand is incredible. So I also want to thank you so very much for making the online university affordable for this retired teacher. Thank you so much for all that you do for everyone who really wants to love a horse. Kathy. What in the wide, wide world of sports is going on here? Where in the world is Monty Roberts? Monty is looking forward to meeting some new friends, two-legged and four-legged, May 1 through 3. He has that horse sense in healing for veterans and first responders. So if you know anybody, send them our way. May 14th is Monty's 85th birthday. We're building up to that crescendo. And then May 18 through 22 are the advanced exams at Flag is Up Farms with Denise Heinlein and Monty. Then June 21, 22, and 23 will be back at Flag is Up Farms. It's a Sunday, Monday, Tuesday with Monty Roberts, Temple Grandin. For those of you who know her, she is a, an amazing flight animal who's written a bunch of books and is also high-functioning autistic, full professor at Colorado State University, Google her. Amazing woman. Rick Lamb will be our host and MC. And then we have lots of other outstanding presenters. You'll have to go on the website. That's, that is themovement2020.com. So www.themovement2020.com. Then we go to June 29 through July 3. Monty special training in Portuguese. That's We'll have a group coming up from Brazil. And then July 24, 25, 26, we have another Horse Sense and Healing, veterans and first responders. August 3 through 7, we have Monty special training. That is, we are in our about 15th year with that. Very special time, five days with Monty and five days with the horses. August 17 through 28 is our now iconic Gentling Wild Horse course. Two weeks of really fun from completely untouched to how far can we take them? And then September 11 through 13, we have another horse sense and healing. At the same time, we're running a CHA equine facility management certification course at Flag is Up Farm. So it's going to be a three ring circus and a lot of fun, September 11 through 13. We're going to stop right there. It's a busy place. <laughs> now, every, every show I ask you something about one of the things on the calendars because there's okay. so much going on. For Monty's special training in Portuguese or English, what yeah. is that open to the public? Can anybody sign up to see that? Yes, there is. It's really more of an auditor's course. We've okay. had 
oh, professional jockeys, professional trainers come through and maybe they'll get to get in there and do a join up and do some other things, which is kind of educational too. It's really fun to see a professional horse trainer. This is where Joe Camp came. He came to Amani Special Training. Some people know Joe Camp from Soul the Horse, and and uh, he was just getting into horses at that time. Believe it or not, it was before the Soul was written, and he ended up adopting one of the babies out of there, uh, one that he you can see on his website to this day called Mouse. She was abandoned and, and uh, out of Nebraska somewhere or something. She was this tiny little thing he used as a podium, even though she, she practically, you know, 16 men it took to get her in the trailer to get there. So it's things like that. We get to see her first day, her second day, her third day, her fourth day, you know, and just see that whole training process unfold incrementally. And it's a lot of fun. It's not just untouched horses. It's horses that uh, maybe it's a starter. Maybe it's the refuses to load on the trailer. Maybe it's a learning to back up uh, first days of a turn. You know, it just depends on the horses that really show up by the instructor that's sourcing the horses on that day. So this is this is going to be a extended period of being an auditor and watching the training processes with a variety of different horses. Yeah. And is this um interactive in that the auditors are able to quiz the trainer about what's yeah. going on in front of them? Absolutely. Questions are encouraged, actually, because there's so so many times when we're working with the horses, it's quiet. You know, we're explaining what's going on, but it, it is it's almost like a you know a special dance with certain things, depending on the horse, how fractious they are, how you know, how fearful they are, depending on what they've been through. And so we we tend to be kind of quiet, but we'll encourage people to ask the questions right from the side of the round pin, you know, because we want to know why their hand went there just when it went there, especially with a horse that's uh, skeptical, you know. Mm-hmm. So it is really fun to see them start to learn to trust day after day. They become more comfortable. When they walk in that round pin, they almost seem, or, or arena or wherever we happen to be, we go, we use the full facility depending on what the issue is and, or the what the stage of training is. Um, but the interesting thing is latent learning. We call it latent learning. And you're probably familiar with it, Jen, but it's it's that where they left the the pen at the end of yesterday and they come back what it seems is further ahead than the day before right yes and i you always know? looked at that now that i understand what it is thank you thank mm-hmm. you job at horse radio network for helping me learn all these cool things from all these cool people yeah. the it seems like they go home and they think about it and go Oh yeah, I get it now. And that that was always to me an indicator that I'm getting something right. If my horse comes back yes. next day and is less far along, mm, mm. I'm doing something wrong. I need to I need to check my notes a little bit. So Monty's yeah. special training in Portuguese July 29th through July or June 29th through July 3rd and Monty's right. special training in English August 3 through August 7, 2020. Yes. If you're listening to this That's in 2023, right. It's over. There's going to be one a different date. <laughs> There's going to be another one. Come There's going to be another one, and it's going to be a different date. And the place you need to find that information is going to be at MontyRoberts.com because I'm sure the website's going to still be there. Yep. That's right. Or you can call Flag is Up Farm because there are helpful and useful people there. 805-688-6288. They can help you out. And for details about today's show, go to HorsemanshipRadio.com where you're going to find links to our guests and topics, photos, and more information. 
And great place to interact with Monty Roberts and all the cool stuff going on at Flag is Up Farms is on the Facebook, Monty Roberts. Just type it in there. Or on Twitter or Instagram. Both handles are Monty underscore Roberts. And in order to not miss any episodes of Horsemanship Radio or any other show on the Horse Radio Network you want to listen to, go to your app store, search Horse Radio Network, download it today. It works in iTunes, it works on Android as well as iPhones. Mm-hmm. That's true. Well done, Jen. Thank you for getting all that in there. And many thanks to our sponsors, too. That's Omega Fields and Cavallo Horse and Rider and Monty Roberts University. And be sure to visit all the other great shows, too, and all their sponsors. Support them at the Horse Radio Network at www.horseradionetwork.com. Until then, have many happy horse hours. (laughs) 